You're listening to When the Night Comes, a collection of sounds and stories from unsigned Birmingham bands between 1985 and 2005. Musicians go back in time, dusting off old demo tapes and sharing some of the tracks they wrote in bedrooms, garages and studios across the city. My name is Dean Vernals. Series 2, Episode 1 of this podcast looks at the work of The Shore, who are active on the Birmingham music scene between 1990 and 1993. This episode will be a little different, as I was the guitarist in the band, and joining me to roll back the years will be bassist Ash Orton and frontman Matt Killeen. Over time, there were two four-piece versions of the band, and we gigged extensively in Birmingham, as well as a number of venues in London. Despite record company interest and the demo of the month review in Making Music magazine, the band would remain unsigned. So, let's hear the story of the show. Ash, Matt, welcome to the, the first episode in Series 2. Hello. Hi. <laughs> explosive intro. It was an explosive <laughs> intro, wasn't it? <laughs> for this episode, uh, for a change, I'll be answering the questions as, as well as asking them. So, uh, uh, well, we're going back 30 years, aren't we? It's, it's a bit difficult remembering all the details. It is a little bit. I was going to say, hopefully, mate, we'll, we'll sort of G each other along a little bit. And, well, um, let, let, let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. Possibly. Yeah. So, so to get started, we need to sort of trace the origins of the band. And um, for that, we can go uh, probably as far back as, as 1985-86, uh, before you joined, Matt, uh, to Cabri College, can't we, Ash? Yeah, I think that's that's where the kind of the musical interest started, as, as everybody else seemed to be in a band, certainly the people we, we hung around with. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Now, you were there, uh, our original singer, Ant Jones. Uh, it's where yeah. we first crossed paths with uh, the drummer in the second lineup, Drew Bayliss. Mark Conlon, he was there from Livewire. He, he helped us out a lot in, in the early days. Uh, there's quite a lot going on, wasn't there? It was quite a few years later, though, when we put the show together. Um, we kind of met up again, discovered we'd sort of both learned to play instruments. Yeah. About 1989. Um, we sort of uh, got a lineup together, didn't we? I started to rehearse. We persuaded Aunt Jones from college to sing. And then I think some, yeah. somehow we found another a guy called Aunt Nolan, a drummer through a mutual friend, didn't we? I think somehow. I can't remember I how think, that happened. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it revolved around the Hare and Hounds. Yeah, as yeah. a lot of music did in sort of South Birmingham, I believe. Um, uh, what do you remember about the early days, Ash? I remember some, some kind of embarrassing... Um, bits on the bass guitar where I <laughs> couldn't play the damn thing. Um, oh, no. You know, it's, um, yeah, I think we did a peculiar kind of, of, of set of, of, of keep on rocking in the free world and, and a song by Sam Cook or something. It was, it was pretty much anything we, we could play. I think it was Runaway by Del Shannon, I think, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, what's that? that? What's that? <laughs> Stand by me. I no, it's another one, yeah. I mean, we, we sort of kind of wrote a few songs, didn't we? Did did a demo, I think, at a place called Arena Studios. I'm not sure where that was. Maybe Hockley. I think that was about early 1990s, didn't we? We recorded yes. a, a couple of tracks. Um, first time we'd really experienced recording our own tunes. It was kind of, sort of mixed results, really, wasn't it? That sort of early days. It was, and it was every, anything to do with recording was always hideously expensive. Yes, you know, and, yeah, um, yeah. Just an absolute nightmare, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the tape was reviewed by John Slater in Brumbeat as well, really. I, he did like the songs, didn't he? He thought they were catchy, good lyrics. Um, but uh, I think you remember him saying we, he thought we were writing in the wrong keys, and I think kind of out of ignorance, we kind of, kind of ignored his advice, <laughs> really. <laughs> 
We've just got any concept of keys, did we, really? <laughs> I don't think we did, really. Just pick a scale and sort of stick to it. <laughs> I think eventually we, we kind of decided we were going to tune down the semitone when we write songs, but that was about as, as far as it got, wasn't it? <laughs> I think we did actually tune down, didn't we? Yeah. I think we did. I don't yeah, think we knew what we were tuning down to, particularly. I know, I think we were tuning down idea, to the same thing. But. I think the, the idea was, I think, it, it, it sort of some, somebody sort of told us it made your singer sound a bit higher or something like that. Yes, give a bit of extra space, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah right, which changing yeah. the key would have done just as easily, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that, did uh, so, so the first version of the, uh, of the show played uh, a couple of gigs really the Hare and Hounds and um, we played along with the Watchmen and Sordid Details that was June 1990 uh, you right. know we played um, some of our own songs didn't we a few covers we mentioned Rock in the Free World a few other things and then there was a sort of a more memorable gig July the 1st 1990 at the Barrel Organ um, and that was sort of memorable for the wrong reasons wasn't it mate <laughs> It it was it was <laughs> memorable for the fact that there was absolutely nobody there in a exactly a, yeah an almost su- supernatural apocalyptic way yes it, it was it was it was the nice of the World Cup quarter final England versus Cameroon yeah and even the barman disappeared to go and watch the football yeah yeah it was one of those I, I kind of remember um, at some point like one of us sort of said didn't they to the sound guy looked out and said oh uh, can I have a little bit more bass in the monitor or something and no reply and we, we looked a bit closer and i think even he'd gone into the back room to watch the game yeah, hadn't he? yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit, bit disastrous sort of yeah. <laughs> well, we did what what a lot of people did the other the other band were a good band uh, yeah yeah that's right and they we said look we'll play for each other kind of thing we'll applaud you you applaud us and we did and we, we made a good time yeah. of it yeah, it was a bit of a free practice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was good. Especially the stage uh, of the barrel organ. Yeah, and I think maybe that's as sort of as far as that that, uh, that early lineup got. Really, after that, sort of Aunt Jones went off to uni. Um, I think Aunt, Aunt Nolan stayed for a little bit, and uh, we yeah, started yeah. sort of audition for, sort of for new singers. I mean, auditioning kind of anyone in those days was was a bit tricky, wasn't it? Really. I mean, uh, I remember um, certainly without a car. I remember one time we were kind of auditioning the drummer as well, and. We kind of uh, we went to, I think we were going over to West Heath on the on the twenty seven bus and cramming all our gear into the luggage rack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to get the gear around was horrendous. Yeah, we had wheelbarrows and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yes, I kind of remember that one as well. Yeah, getting the gear into a wheelbarrow. Yeah, so we we started to. Um, yeah, auditioned a few singers, and um, I think probably um, for a couple of months so we used to sort of I guess spend hours just jamming out riffs, didn't we at that time and. Um, you know, we'd be advertising for musicians. Uh, we kind of always go down to Rich Bitch. It was always in one or two rooms down there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. there was a couple of uh, rooms that we favoured, generally, I think, the cheaper ones. It was um, often what we could get, really. It was a very yeah. popular place. It was a, it yeah. was a nice little place, you know. It seemed like a bit of a central hub yeah, activity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think the, pro- the problem we had is that we didn't really know what we wanted to do, and as a result, we got... We got all sorts of people coming down to audition. That's right, yeah. A, sort of a, a Morrissey clone one minute and a, a sort of Bruce Dickinson wannabe the next or something. You know, it was... Um, it was, it was difficult, wasn't it? Um, we did used to put down what we wanted. Yes. Um, it didn't seem to make a lot of difference. <laughs> and as I remember, it was just a, a generally a scrappy note put up in the music shop somewhere, maybe exchanges or something. Yeah, or, well, um, exactly. That's how it was done back in those days. Yeah, bass yeah. place or whatever. I don't know. It, whatever the shop 
shop was around. And that was about as far as it went. I don't, we should have maybe advertised in the mail or something, but we didn't, did we? And you know. No, or a music magazine. Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. I think then, then, then around, sort of one night around September 1990, I think I'd gone down to the Potter Beer in Aston. And uh, somehow, I can't really remember the, the, the fine details, but I kind of got introduced to you, Matt, somehow. But um, I can't really remember much about the, the first meeting. Can you? No, I can't either, because I don't recall how, I don't know whether I saw the ad or whether we'd agreed to meet up there or no, we were no. introduced by like mutual, mutual friends. I, I, I cannot remember. I think Ash, you remember me coming back and sort of telling you I found somebody, you know, who might be quite good to audition. Yeah, you said that he certainly looked the part of a singer and um, and it might be pretty good. That was pretty much all I had at that point was like, he <laughs> looks like a singer. I think Matt exuded a, a lot of confidence, didn't he? Which a lot of people that came to audition didn't. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. I, I was sort of... Uh, like slightly overwhelmed, amazingly impressed with with your musicianship. I think by this point, Ash, you definitely don't play because I was like watching you, your fingers going up and down the fretboard, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't think I've I've seen uh, an amateur play bass that well ever. <laughs> and the two of you had this psychic thing going. You would just start playing, and you'd be playing something new, and you both know what you were doing, and it was it was. At that, at that point in my career, I don't think I'd ever played with anybody who practiced or, or did, did stuff before. And so I was, you know, very taken with what was happening between the two of you. I was like, this is, this is great if these two are going to do that and then I can just stand in front of them. This will be, this will be amazing. So. When you, when you sort of joined um, Matt, we decided to keep the name, but it, it seemed to confuse a few people, didn't it, uh, at the time? Well, you'd go... Um, oh yeah, with the shore and they're the shore, and you'd have to go, you know, shore like as in beach and waves and stuff. And and uh, you know, we 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 took that and we made it a feature, not a bug. Um, yeah, so we yeah. are the shore as in beach and waves and stuff. Yeah, that was on it. I didn't have it on a poster or t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so. I, mean, I noticed there's another Birmingham band now called the Shore, which is which is great. And uh, I mean, as well as American rock group as well with the same name, isn't it? But you know, in terms of the origins of the name, Ash, I think we were kind of saying, oh, there's quite a lot of songs that mention the phrase the Shore, but no band. I don't think we really intended to stick with the name, did we? I think the problem is, is um trying to name a band we weren't really sure what it was you know <laughs> no it's a good it's a good point yeah that's a really good point that i liked it because it was it didn't necessarily say exactly what kind of band we were so yes, it, there was space yes. for that and yeah. you know the, the going to the beach i mean we were all brummies so i don't know about you yes. but like to this to this day i you know i go over the brow it's and go, the sea it's the yeah. sea you know yeah. so there was like a kind of a yeah. romantic excitement to the notion you know yeah birmingham lads 105 miles from the nearest coastline whatever it is i suppose the canal doesn't have the same ring to it no it? not really <laughs> no i remember we, uh, we had we had lots of musical influences didn't we All, lots of different ones but I mean, there were there were kind of lots of bands that crossed over, though, weren't there? I mean, we we were kind of you know we all liked the Bunny Men, the Cure, Ash and I certainly liked the Smiths, and I think you were into Julian Cope, and um, I think yeah, we all probably had liked a bit of early U two as well, and that was kind of in there in the, in the early sound there. Yeah, so the the Echoplex guitar, and even in Rich Pitch, there was there was an extra element to what you were doing, you know, like Daniel Lanois yeah. did with U two, that there was this kind of like it sounded like synths, but it wasn't; it was just the the guitar in the background, like. 
repeating yeah, yeah, itself. Yeah. We yeah. used to get a lot of comparisons to bands that none of us were really into yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, look, I look back at it now myself, and it sounds very mission-like to me. Yes. Yeah, it sounds. And, and yeah, I can hear the sort of the, the skids and the big country thing, which is odd because you weren't really in, into that particularly, were you? And, no, no, no. Uh, I like I liked um, various things, but it was um, all you can when you when you sort of starting out, you you just tend to throw in what you've got yeah, rather yeah. than maybe what's what's suitable. And uh, well, I think we we drew on thing. I, I, I suppose it was along the indie rock lines of whatever that would have been. But yes, we kind yeah. of used to sort of um, we'd steal bits from sort of the world of heavy rock or something and throw them in as well. So hoping nobody noticed or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know the three of us coming together dictated what we sounded like rather than us sitting down and deciding what we were going to kind of do. Birmingham, in a way, contributed to that because although Birmingham was still Absolutely, yeah, yeah. viewed as well quite heavy metal, the fact was that the alternative communities mixed in a way that yes, they just yeah. don't in other cities yeah that's and that's a very birmingham thing isn't it yeah you might have one favorite pub but like i used to go to the barrel but i would also go to the ship ashore so i was hearing all the like the jingle jangle indie yeah, and the manchester yeah. stuff and then yeah. the black horse was very smith's and then yeah you'd go down and um then get into aston that was the big walk trying to find people you knew and um yeah. You know the the pot of beer there, and that was sort of very studenty. And you could ask somebody to come to your gig; they wouldn't go, "Well, well, I don't like your kind of music," because they would assume that you you there'd be something they'd like. I yeah. think. But you don't <laughs> see music in those terms, do you? I think the A and R guys see it all, and they try to convey it to you. But as a younger person, yeah. you think everything's fresh and exciting and original, and of course, nothing is. Bands are about who you decide to to rip off. <laughs> and whether, yeah. the, whether the time is right <laughs> to do, do that well, um, talent borrows genius steals as they this, say, is, yes. this mm-hmm. is it yeah Equ- equipment also had a, a kind of an impact on the sound we kind of had sort of not the greatest gear in the world did we initially and uh, but as they say no. limitations also bring creativity you know it's it was kind musical of like equipment the, was incredibly expensive back then y- compared yes. to what it is now yeah, particularly so. when, the, when you were uh, on the dole, it was it wasn't easy. It to, was. I mean, you could argue yeah. that really owning a, a guitar, considering what a guitar might cost, even even a poor one, yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. a middle class yeah. venture. Really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think initially, Matt, you were kind of putting lyrics over the top of music that sort of uh, Ash and I had recorded or, or kind of written, sort of in the bedroom, really. And we had a, I think initially we had a drum machine, didn't we, Ash? We, you, I think we were kind of <laughs> an RX, is it an RX seven or a DX seven? Something like that, because we didn't really have a drummer, did we? Uh, but we, we, I think we managed to get about sort of six sort of songs together, didn't we? Um, which made up a first sort of set, and I think that was yeah. kind of around se- September nineteen ninety. But I think we had to kind of wait until sort of the following April to for our first gig. Uh, I think you kind of booked yeah. us in at the barrel organ with Inchworm. Uh, your brother Andy was in. And um, that kind of forced us into trying to find someone, didn't it? I think that was the thing. Matt said, Matt said if we don't do a, a gig, some, we'll never do one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is that true? Was that said at some point? <laughs> and I think that was, that was Matt so taking the lead. <laughs> I imagine I said something like that. I think I'd... yeah. Again, this was because this was a much more sort of professionally minded outfit is 
I think you both went, well, we're not ready, really. Uh, but at the same time, I always, I always liked the idea of like, you book the gig and therefore you have to do it. And therefore you've got yeah, a deadline. This is, absolutely. this is, this is how I write books now. Like, if yeah. I need a deadline. Yeah. Otherwise I'm not going to get it done. I think me and Dean were the pontification brothers, you know. We were <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think that was the thing. That's exactly what you did. You said, right, come on, let's, let's do it. Yeah. So, so we, we kind of turned to our old friend, Drew Bailey. And we had um, been at Cadbury College and um, he was in a, in a band. And I think kind of like we said, we help us out. Like um, we got about a month to get you ready to, to, to do this first gig down the barrel organ. And um, I think that's it. We kind of got in to learn the, the six songs that we'd kind of got together and, and that was it. We did the gig. A few more punters down the barrel organ this time though, Ash, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a one-off really, mate. I, I always remember, a, um, if I was to say anything about our band, it's a, we always seemed to play to people. There were always people there. Yeah, it, it always seemed to go down well. As, as Matt said, I think we were, people sort of said, oh, God, it's really tight, it's really together. Yeah, yeah. Which we yeah. just thought was a fundamental really, but looking back maybe not you know certainly people yeah. were impressed by that yeah yeah i'm kind of with you on board we did that gig and we, we did um we did a, a kind of an early demo of some of those songs down at i think a place called um i think it was called the video studio it was about 1991 recorded robbinsville indecision um any re recollections from that sort of session chaps there was a snake under the mixing desk. <laughs> yes, there was something going on. Wasn't there? <laughs> mixing desk sat on a big tank with an enormous snake. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> How can someone miss a snake that size? I remember I had to turn the amp down because it was kind of in someone, the studio was in someone's house, wasn't it? So yeah. the end result didn't really come out how we kind of expected, really, or how we intended them. But I think we kind of decided yeah. um, to, to book into Rich Bitch and record uh, two different tracks, didn't we? And um, we kind of got a few different results that time. But yeah. We moved like a big, a big way musically at that point. Because we yeah. we started out in Fire, Firework Girl and Robbinsville with these kind of like almost kind of dreamy, yes, sound, and um, I think Indecision was a bit harder, and I'm scared was a bit screechy, and yeah. but we had moved on. I, I think we probably should hear uh, the first song actually that uh, from that session we recorded down there. It was an interesting one because the music was written um, before we we sort of even really had a band, wasn't it? Ash uh, safe in her hands. Uh, chorus was sort of inspired by a newspaper headline, I think. Uh, Thatcher saying the the NHS sort of being safe in their hands, I think. And um, kind of, I had some verse lyrics. Then um, Aunt Jones, the first singer, he wrote a new set, and then. Um, uh, when you joined Matt, we sort of kept the song and you wrote yet another set of verse lyrics, I think, didn't you? So let, let's hear that version.
Okay, so that was Safe in Her Hands by The Shore, recorded uh, at Rich Rich around 1991. Uh, so where, where were you coming from with your sort of set of lyrics there, Matt? I'm having a look as we speak at my lyric book of the time, which I um, dug out. And I know we had a couple of different versions. I think it was just, um, it, it, it was a love song, but it was just about that sense of comfort you can find yeah. in somebody. And the idea of being safe in someone's hands, like suggests there's something unpleasant out there. You know, there's, there's a danger and you could be dropped. I think it was, I think that's where I was going with it. Guitar wise, obviously a a big nod to the edge back in those days. I mean, a delay pedal uh, played a part in that early sound, as we said. Um, I think Ash, you and I were listening a lot to that House of Love butterfly album, weren't we? I think as they <laughs> call it. That yeah. kind of influenced a little bit. And there's a bit of Johnny oh, Marr yeah. in that sort of chorus riff arpeggio thing sort of going on. Um, what do you remember about the session of Rich Bitch Guys? Do you remember much about that? I think it was the 16-track thing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was in the second best room. <laughs> I think we got we got like a day for what was an hour up, upstairs if i recall and um it was it was a much better atmosphere it was quite a light room if i recall yes that's and right yeah, yeah. we were able to make a real noise which was yeah, yeah. great and i think in comparison to any of the previous demos or stuff we'd recorded it had real edge to it even safe in our hands which was you know floaty lovey-dovey pop song it had a a power to it i think yes yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it was an interesting song really wasn't it i mean it was kind of one that sort of stayed with us throughout the time throughout the, the whole different periods of the band wasn't it and it was kind of well received by people who used to come and see us that one yeah i think that if we if we dropped it people would have complained <laughs> people would have been quite angry <laughs> so we did have a following of sorts well exactly yeah it used to go down quite well that one we were at a party and I remember there was someone in the kitchen who used to, who every so often would just shout, here, you've got to hear this song. And they'd put it on again, full blast. And like, <laughs> oh, like okay. every hour all the way through the night. So it was like still going at four in the morning. <laughs> um, just, just, and I know that they were probably taking the mick a uh, little, but people knew it. You know, I mean, I remember the recording experience. It was the first time I remember overdubbing kind of different parts, sort of made it sound a little bit more interesting, I think. And um, the recording sounds a little bit fast to me. It was um, probably the adrenaline got the better of us on the day, I think. And um, probably it, it's, it's a bit quicker than um, we used to probably play it live, I'd imagine. That's a bit of a theme. <laughs> yes, it is a bit of a theme. <laughs> I seem yeah. to remember making music saying, like, you know, when you're recording, go slower than you think you need to and make the vocals louder mm. than you think. Yes, uh, yeah, tips that uh, we, we probably getting, again, we didn't take on board. That's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think probably at that point we started to, um, we've, we've probably needed um, a more permanent rehearsal space. I think we'd, we'd sort of, uh, using sort of, the amps down a rich bitch rather than our own amps. And I think yeah, if you came up with the idea, well, we could, got, we could do it in our garage. I think Matt, did you say at some point? Yeah, I, I, because it was quite. It was like a big two car garage. We didn't have two cars, and we there was never a car in it. So <laughs> it it was just a really big space, and I kind of had it in my head this idea that we would create a space that was ours. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and like. You know, my, my dad was a shop fitter, so there was all kinds of this, you know, coloured lights and 
weird velvet material you're supposed to put on walls and um sort of i had a vision that we would like actually create a space inside this garage that would feel more like a rock and roll place yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. there were times where there'd be four of us and we'd, we'd be in there all day for hours that's something that professional bands or bands that became professional used to do and that yeah. probably is one yeah. thing that really kind of stood for us you know it, no matter what happened no matter how bad the sound was wherever we were it was always pretty tight and pretty together we had some problems though because i think i think because we were kind of cranking up the volume a bit i think the noise abatement society kind of uh, got <laughs> got involved in the, <laughs> I think, at some point they wrote a letter did eventually they we got a letter yes that yeah. said that our sound equipment was making a public nuisance according to somebody yeah. 20 doors down and well, exactly. um, I felt like framing that. Um, <laughs> but that yes, that did. Like I, I think when that finally happened, that did take an edge off us because I think that was a bit further further down the line. I kind of was yeah. well, we, maybe we can't rehearse here as much, or we have to be quieter. And I think we'd we'd been able to make something very sonically interesting. One of, one of the tracks that we perhaps forged in that space was the second short track we're going to hear, which uh, was called Lab Maze. Um, so let's take a listen. Thank you. 
So that was uh, Lab Maze by The Shore from the same session as uh, Safe in Her Hands. Uh, it's a very different sounding song, though, to Safe in Her Hands, isn't it? Um, really the first song we'd probably written as a, as a band, Matt. It's almost like they sound like two different bands in yeah, some yeah. senses. And I think that was the problem with doing two tracks. Do you know what I mean? It's very difficult to give people an idea of what the band was about yeah, from yeah. just two tracks. But, of course, just that's all, all we could afford in those days. It was very kind of like angry and, you know, edged but at the same time it, i think it's quite melodic you know and like yeah, yeah. um and we made really interesting noises out of that i mean i love that song you know to this day really and i think that was the kind of thing that would worry me do you know what i mean like the idea of like being driven down to the same and the same kind of behaviors over and over again and that just felt very like a lab rat you know yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, it, as I recall, it started with a, a sort of a drum and bass sort of jam ash that uh, you and sort of Juice struck up, really. It's quite a prominent bass riff, though, that one, isn't it? I yeah, it's probably of... uh, trying to work work somebody else's stuff out and getting it wrong, which is what you did back then, didn't you? It was all pre-YouTube. So you try, <laughs> work some, try and work something out, and it'd be like, this is, this is a bass line from, from so-and-so, and it's, it's like, it's, it's probably not. <laughs> but, um, I think that's but what that was. it was the kind was. of bass line that, came out of being able to make noise. I remember it was bouncing off an open A string, which has been done a lot before and since. But it works. It works really well. And it kind of was taken from the rock context and put into our little indie sort of thing. Yeah, it was one of those ones which um, I think you know, a lot of people did it. And they, I had a, a kind of a, a, an intro riff over the the bass line, and then in in the verse, it was kind of it was a different part over the same the same bass line. I think can't predict yeah. it from you too, really, because there's two different guitar parts and one bass line. I was like, oh, there's that, and then there's that, and that, and I'd be sitting there desperately trying to think of something, and it's usually like a. I, I would need lyrics to be able to sing. Anytime I tried scatting, it just sounded stupid. So I would wait for an idea and then I would get an idea and then I would go, right, I've, I'm going into the kitchen. I've got to write. <laughs> I'd go off <laughs> and then come back with like a paragraph or scribble. And then I'd try and put bits over the top of it. Remember you sort of double tracking the chorus vocal uh, on the session. It made it sound really big. I thought, you know, it's kind of, it wasn't a harmony part, was it? It was just, you had a, like a, I think it was just a low one and a high one at yeah. um, uh, unison, but yeah, now that was that that was nice, and it, I think it was the first time I'd recorded that I could actually hear myself. Do you know what I mean? It was the first time yeah, I had yeah. really good good earphones and really good microphone and i could hear everything in my voice i mean to me though i've always got this thing where it sounds a little bit unfinished really i think um particularly at the end it feels like um i should have you know there's the, the guitar part i feel like something should be underneath it. it sounds a little bit bare really i think a lot of people would have put keyboards in wouldn't they you know we, did, we didn't realize that at the time we were anti-keyboard but yes i think yeah. that's what we could have done with something just to to highlight what the bare bones of the chords were I know you said yourself that you used to play a lot of chords with um, with no major or minor. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good example so of that. I'd, really. I'd be playing some sort of odd bass line, and you'd be playing... Um, Roots and fifth sort of things, yeah. Roots and no fifths, and really yeah. what we wanted was somebody just to highlight what the basic chords were, be it a keyboard mm. or a rhythm guitar or something. But live, it was the end of Lab Maze was special. 
we didn't do it, but it was the throwing the guitar down and walking off stage and just leaving everything on feeding back. That's, <laughs> that's the feel. Time, yeah, yes. it, it was, that's yeah. what the song sound felt like. It was, it was, yeah. it was great. Really good. Yeah. I, d I don't think we ever really captured that live sound, did we, in the studio? And that's, we'll talk a bit more about that later, but you know, that, that, that's something that was always difficult to, to kind of really do, wasn't it? I think. Bands of that era, you were stuck you had to save up, you had to go into a studio, you had one day, you didn't know if you were going to get it done, and then you had that, you had to use it, you know? Yes, yes, That indeed, was it, yeah, that yeah. was what you had to sell the band. And, um, you know, I think the, that is just very different experience for bands these days. Yeah, you know, indeed. You can record everything. I think we did experiment a little bit with production work. We said about the double track vocal, and I think Jew added like a little conga part. I don't know how that happened, really. I mean, oh, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did he I bring them or were they just in the studio? I think they were in the room, yeah. We just kind of just added this kind of, I don't know how it came apart. He did own some, didn't he? Yes, he did. And I've just wondered if he kind of saw them lying around and then sort of like, sort of he suggested. He was quite good, actually. He gave us that. Yeah. It kind of added something to it, some uh, extra rhythmical sort of part, didn't it? It was quite interesting, really. Yeah. Now I, I always ask um, bands about image, and um, we had a, we had a few problems with that, didn't we? I mean, um, I think you know one promoter said to to us, "Who are you?" You know, didn't didn't he say something like to you, yeah. Matt, about you know you look like Jim Morris, yeah. and the drummer looks like Jim Motley Crue, and I think it was a difficult one because. We all had our own independent looks, didn't we, I suppose? And um, trying to kind of create something that, that moulded together as a band was quite hard, wasn't it? We weren't exactly swayed, were we? <laughs> image. Again, that goes back to the business of not ripping anybody off. You've got to sort of look similar, haven't you? And, you, and we didn't really do that. It can be a small percentage of what makes you, but it can also be hugely important in, try, in, yes, in shaping indeed. the mind to accept yeah. what the music is. Even yeah, if you just blatantly yeah. steal an image, I think it can be so useful. I mean, I, I look back and I should have cut my hair and I should have, you know, I should have made an effort to to look like I was in the same band as, as everybody else. Because um, I remember I was like nicking my mother's kimono and wearing that on stage, you know, like I was mm. Freddie Mercury or something and like... <laughs> um, I think getting, cutting all your hair off and stuff like that at that time is a... Uh, yeah, it felt like the end of the world. Big, It's a big ask, isn't it? You were younger than we were, and, and we'd yeah. done all the hair thing. We were all got long kind of hair, and there's absolutely no way we would have cut our hair off at, at that point, <laughs> to sort of you know, 17, 18 yeah. or whatever. Absolutely no way. So yes, really to yeah. expect anybody else to is just, it's just ridiculous, but... Um, um, other visuals, though, we, we kind of tried a few things out, didn't we? We, you know, we had a we had a bit of a backdrop. One of my paintings, and then um, Ash, you sort of took all your furniture out of your room and like spent a week airbrushing it onto the wall. Yeah, I had a compressor and, it was, like, and an airbrush. Yeah. Amazingly good uh, um, look to it, um, and and that was great. But it was it was so big, we had trouble putting it up anywhere. I think we used it, was it, absolutely, it was absolutely huge, except for when we played a venue and it looked like a postage stamp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In terms of gigs, uh, we sort of enjoyed uh, many, didn't we, really? Quite a few out of Birmingham as well. Um, we'll yeah. talk about the London ones in a minute, but, you know, the Hummingbird was a great one. That was one of our big ones, wasn't it? it was to, you know, it was, it was a great night to make 
1992 or something like that, I think. Um, but yeah. that, that was, that was quite a, you know, that was a big thing. That wasn't it. I mean, it was the upstairs room, but it, it was, it was a great night. That one JB's, um, <laughs> JB's yeah, was, was brilliant because it was an almost unique yeah. situation there that this was a club, you know, had many hundreds of people yeah. and it was full, but they weren't there to see us. And there were three, three bands on, I think. And yeah. you know, if they didn't like you, they'd let you know. You know, be bottled yeah. off, or yeah. they would sit on the stage and ignore you, or pull yeah. your plugs out. And but, yeah. and I think that we were like, well, if we cannot make this work, then we might as well go home. You know, yeah. and we were <laughs> on fire that night. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Total confidence. And I remember Ash was playing that enormous, like th- you had a bass that was just like an enormous piece of wood. <laughs> it's a coffee table. <laughs> and you were wearing <laughs> um sunglasses and uh, but you were just like drifting along like you were listening to something else I probably was uh, it, just looked, like... it looked amazing <laughs> 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 I'm probably, probably wondering whether i'd set the video for star trek the next generation or something i don't know i remember there wasn't much clapping and i, I came off stage and going oh did they not like us? And people were going, Oh my God, people are like creaming themselves. But that was, you know, they didn't kill you. Yeah. That was a result. You know? <laughs> yeah. We yeah. had some great, I mean, we had some great gigs in Birmingham, the jug we played, the pen and wig was a uh, regular for us, wasn't it? The hair and ounce, yeah. the barrel organ, the black horse and nearly died. I'm glad we had circuit yeah. breakers. Like you'd, you'd stopped playing again. I was like, what's up? And he went, I'm not dying for this. <laughs> because <laughs> it like kept then, tripping out didn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we organized um we organized uh, this the, the first we had a, quite a few gigs in london but this this first first one in in, in kind of august 92 we, we kind of organized a coach trip down there didn't we yeah that was quite adventurous for a teenager <laughs> it is really isn't it again a coach yes, of yeah, 60, yeah. 70 people was that uh the white yeah. horse was it it was the white yeah, horse in Brixton, yeah. yeah. We kind of booked a gig at the Reaction Club. I don't know how we, we kind of booked the gig yeah. there. We, we just thought we needed to kind of try and get down there and attract record company yeah. interest, I think, didn't we? Yeah. And, um, it was a great night. It was a Saturday night. It was it was bouncing, wasn't it? You know, yeah. it was a yeah. great summer's evening and, you know, um, just 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 a fantastic day, really. I mean, is um, that the one where Julian's kit kept edging forward and and Jew kept edging, edging it, backwards? It, it, it was, yeah, yeah. That's the <laughs> one. Yeah, a great yeah, comedy yeah. moment. <laughs> it was a great comedy. You can barely barely reach the, the, the yeah. The he's kind of like yeah. he's st- extending his leg out to try and catch this this runaway <laughs> bass drum that was. Uh... <laughs> I think we should hear another track. Actually, what do you think? Um, this is the third track uh, we're going to play. This one's called. Um, Worldwide party time.
So that was Worldwide Party Time by The Shore. Uh, now, this was recorded uh, at a sort of in a studio in a school, really, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it was the school uh, where my mum taught, and they had a, a, like a recording studio, a 16-track recording studio in there. And the, the guy who ran it, he, he, you had to kind of – you couldn't just have it. You had to impress him first, and you had to do what, do what he said. But, you know, I, I think that that gave us – more time i think it's the the demo that sounded most like us um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah of all yeah. of them and i think we were also changing again at that point um yeah because there was the hummingbird in the first uh, visit to brixton we had this set and i think we we did this a lot you know but we would like do a set play it have a really good gig and then go oh yes but we need to move on like new songs that was the thing with our yeah. recordings wasn't it it was almost like children's clothes you know, as soon as we do it, we, we'd outgrow it. And it's like, it's probably yeah. lucky that we didn't do a single early on because it would have been so out of date six months later. <laughs> again, again, like Lab Maze, I think it, I recall this one starting with the bass and drums, really, Ash. I think that's where it came out of a, a jam, didn't it? That one did, yeah. I think I think it did. Yeah. Um, there were a couple where we would do stuff like that. G, G would come up with some interesting rhythms and. Uh, it's just the fact that the bass and drums would make it would be the first to come online when we, we did a, a rehearsal. You know, Matt would have yeah, his, his yeah, sax yeah. and his bits to set up and uh, you'd have your kind of various yeah. bits and pieces and it was always just the bass and drums that were first on the off. So if, yes, if there was indeed, anything yeah. sort of yeah. worth playing that we'd, that we'd come up with, it would that's when it would be done and it, it, people would either like it or hear it or ignore it or maybe maybe because we used to put a tape on didn't we from that was the thing we used to do was was almost getting get, yeah, getting to the room i think i had this double yeah. sanyo tape thing or matt had one we'd start recording almost as soon as we landed because we would do this thing yeah where someone would go that was a bin bag over it <laughs> that's it yeah and it'd be like that, that was good what was it you just played and it's like what did i just play that that you just played it's like no, I don't remember. It's like, you only did it a minute ago. It's like, yeah, it's gone. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, which is, uh, which happens to a lot of bands apparently. But yeah. So we just used to go in and put a, um, put a tape on and you'd maybe listen to the tape later on and then just go, oh, I like that. What was that you did there? And it was on, it was on the, on the tape ready. Yeah, guitar wise. I'm really pleased with that one. Really. I mean, one review said it was sort of, um, like an off-kilter buzzsaw sound, really. I, I guess it was all, I was playing a lot of drone chords and it was into Tim Machine at the time, trying to emulate sort of Reeves Gabriels, really. And- There's two ways of looking at it. Either it was 90s stuff doing 80s stuff or you were ahead of the game because if you listen to stuff like, kind of like Muse or Block Party or any of these sort of later bands, they're doing similar sort of stuff. It's not it's not yeah. metal-type solos, but it's, no. it's sonic and it fits yeah, really, you know, yeah. it goes off on one and it's kind of it was almost that sort of thing the drums and the bass like they've got the rhythm but you're also doing the melody and then that just freed dean up completely to yeah like go go crazy and it's, it's a different thing wasn't it not something we've really done before and it's upbeat and weird <laughs> that's what i liked about it you know still had that chorus I think the the off kilter thing was all about you know I think certainly in, on, on the recording it was um you know, I was double tracking like a whammy bar part and uh, you you know you can never really kind of um, 
do it the same twice, you know. So it was all it all sounded a bit sort of messy and a bit, I suppose, off kilter, really. I think I remember the guy saying at the studio, "I think you might need to record that again, you know, and try and get it a bit more." But <laughs> oh, I kind of I, really, I like the messiness of of it all. Really, it's uh, it's really good. Where, where were you coming from lyrically with that, Matt? Well, at the time, if you remember, like we'd all grown up under the you know thinking the world was going to end overnight. We were going to get bombed by the Soviet Union, and then like the Soviet <laughs> Union collapsed and then all of a sudden there didn't seem to be any problems and everybody knew the Tories were on their way out and then it I'm trying to remember whether I I heard this or it it um whether this came afterwards and I went that's what I was talking about that I think it was Billy Bragg said the problem with the new world order is it's like the Premier League it's the same thing with a different name and yeah, yeah. um and I, so I was thinking, I just had this, um, you know, this idea that everybody thinks everything's okay, but this is like a party where, you know, it was really good <laughs> until 11.30 and then everybody arrived from the pub and they wrecked the house, you know, and then okay. that, and I kind of had this idea of this is what the earth is, you know, we're all on the earth right now and we're all having a, a massive party and it's, it's all going to turn, it's, it's going to turn. <laughs> it kind of has, hasn't um, it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the good old days, the glory days. Yeah. I think if you listen closely to that one, you can hear some uh, uh, accents from the saxophone, actually, which I think we kind of just perhaps introduced to the sound around that time. Uh, and you were kind of playing through guitar pedals, weren't you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think I was um, insecure a little bit. Like, I wasn't a great sax player or anything, but I could get a sound out of it. And I always, you know, I absolutely in love with a digital delay pedal was just, I thought it yeah, made everything yeah. brilliant. And I think it did sort of create this like sort of triumphant fanfare noise all by itself. And yeah, then yeah. it also, it was also capable of sounding very, very sad, like maudlin, you know, when mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was, um, I picked up the sax actually recently for first time in about 20 years and i was remembering how i used to sort of chew on the the reed to make it go wow 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 and okay, if you did yeah, that yeah. on a high note with the pedals on it kind of made a really like sad sad sound you know the song losing sleep is that yes, it's yeah. just you know um either unbearable or incredibly melancholy depending on uh the day i guess I think we should hear a little, little uh, yeah. extract from that. Really, yeah, it's quite a, a good song. Really, well, one one song we probably should have recorded. So let's have a little, little listen to um, the sax part on that one. So that, that was Losing Sleep, uh, a track 
by the shore we didn't really record and that that was quite a that was quite a, a prominent sax part really wasn't it that one yeah i mean it was a sad it was a sad song and yeah. um i think when we used to jam and it was like if I was trying to sing along, I couldn't, I had to like go off and write lyrics and then come back and try and put something together. Whereas actually there were times when I would, you'd be playing something and I'd pick up the sax and I would, ah, and then I could jam, you know, I could just make noises. And I think that was one of those songs that I'd kind of jammed along with you. Yeah. We should have made more of it. I think really. um, Tied in with a lot of the other things we were doing really, but I don't think we realized that at the time. Yeah. We, we were ambitious, weren't we? We definitely wanted to get a record deal. And we, we did have record companies listen to demos and come and see us live. Uh, we bombarded them a bit, didn't we? Um, I've still got yeah. a list of you know, all the demos we, we sent and the dates we sent them out. And it, the, the, first, um, the first kind of interactions I remember we had with record companies, I mean, it's kind of a strange one. We played Sinatra's bar. And uh, the next day... Um, I, I kind of, I would come back from signing on or something. And uh, the phone went and my sister answered. And she said, uh, there's a guy from a record company who wants to speak to you. Oh, no, that'd be Ash messing about. The guy said, oh, it's uh, it's it's Saul Goldfern from Nude Records. You know, we, we, we just recently set up and we were, you know, we were ringing around kind of, I think he said you, we were ringing around different cities. We, uh, I spoke to a guy at Sinatra's. I think the guy was, his name was Tony Reynolds. Maybe we played Tony, there the yeah. night before. And I think he was very positive about what we'd done. And I think he just passed on the number. And uh, I think Saul kind of um, asked for a, a kind of a demo. And I, I think we, we kind of sent it off. And I naively thinking he was going to sign us, really. But about <laughs> three weeks later, we'd heard nothing back. And uh, I think I think you, you chased it up, Ash. And um, I think he, it, for some reason, it, it just wasn't his thing, really. And I think they ended up signing Suede. So possibly, <laughs> possibly a, a good idea. Yeah. Yes, yeah I can't indeed. imagine yeah. why. Yeah. That's how it's supposed. How it was supposed to work. Do you know what I mean? You were supposed to make a local buzz, and then the record yeah. company people would hear about you. They would say, "Don't come to London. We will hear about you." And yes, they did. But you know what we were doing was, and I think we're probably going to come on to this. What we were doing was not anything that anybody knew what to do with. You know. Yes. I mean, we did. We did have a really good review in Making Music magazine. Um, used to be distributed around the the, 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 the sort of rehearsal studios, didn't it? And yeah. um, you know, it was kind of almost like the demo of the of the month, wasn't it? And um, I think after that, the phone didn't stop ringing, Matt. I think we gave your number, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, loads of people were ringing, don't we? And they asking about. Um, yeah, they said it was great. We were not unlike Suede, which I think was the thing. And then the phone yeah, started yeah. ringing even before the magazine. Like we'd seen the magazine in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, Somebody yeah, rang yeah, up exactly, and was like, well, yeah, how yeah, do you know yeah. about us? And they went, oh, you're yeah. in Making Music. Um, yeah, yeah. And I even think at that point we'd, I don't think we'd rowed, but we'd, we were having a, oh, I don't know, is this, are we going anywhere? I don't know. Like, yes, are we wasting yes. our time? And then I was like, you know, saddle up everybody. <laughs> we, we, we are definitely back on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we, we had to hastily arrange another gig too, because I think there was a guy from food records, wasn't there? Um, were they kind of yes. some subsidiary of EMI and a guy called miles, can't remember his surname. He, he kind of, you know, was interested in seeing us and we, we kind of arranged this gig at I think the dome in Tufnell park, didn't we? And, um, uh, we kind of got down there, played the gig 
And uh, I'm still not sure. To, whether, did he turn up? I'm not, I'm not really sure if he did, did he? If I, my memory of this is he wouldn't come to Brixton because Brixton was too far south. So he said we had yes. to play somewhere yeah. up north. Yeah. So we could we yeah, got this yeah. gig on a Tuesday night or something at the Dome. It was, yeah, something like that. And big, big old venue, and there were five bands on. But unlike you would do at the Hare and Hounds, the, ba- the band played and then they and all their mates uh, went away yeah. and so there was yeah, never yeah. more than one band what it was the brummies in the corner yeah. and <laughs> yeah. um and it, it was a very difficult playing to nobody but he did yeah. come and he said you know i don't know who you are i think that was another yes. like yeah. he said are you yeah, a rock yeah. Are you a rock band or are you an indie band? Because again, that's yeah, just image. You can't, you can't be both. And I think, yeah. I think musically, we were, we were both. You know, you built up to that, and then you played this really cold gig, and then like I got a kind of a maybe. And I don't know if we knew how to fix it at that point. We had a few other rejections, didn't we? Um, kind of a couple of handwritten sort of. No, it wasn't just a bog standard. You know, we've listened to it and. You know, we're not interested. Thanks for your type. There were a few kind of of handwritten notes as well, wasn't there? One from Island Records that I've got. Was it MCA, Matt? MCA. And and that one, it was kind of like damning with faint praise. Because he said, this, if I recall exactly, it was like, this is all very good, but it is never great at any point. Or it doesn't lapse into great at any point. Yeah. And, you know, keep, keep in touch. So we were there or thereabouts another track from the the sort of school uh recording sessions that we did which was reviewed in making music was a a track called brain cell Remo- removal company which i think review described as a sort of a heavier smiths um and having quite a distinctive identity so let, let's take a listen to that track
Okay, that was Brain Cell Removal Company by the Shore. Uh, heavy Smiths, chaps? I, I don't really <laughs> think think that was the case. I know we like the Smiths, but I don't know. I think, Johnny, you know, it had, like, there was interesting Sonic stuff going on, and I think, you yeah. know, I think we all know in retrospect how important what Johnny Marr was doing with the Smiths, how much more yeah, interesting yeah. he made it. And I guess the lyrics are very kind of, you know, I go out and try and meet somebody and and go home and I'm going to die alone. It, 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 lyrically, it was quite Smiths, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it was very much about, you know, like um, Small Town England by uh, New Model Army, yeah. that kind of, like, why are we going out continually getting drunk? You know, was is yeah. there not something better we could be doing with that time? I mean, I remember that one. We uh, we kind of um, we wrote it not long before that we demoed it. Actually, I think um, we probably had re- time to record something else. I can't remember which track. Um, it was quite an exciting one to play, though. It's kind of um, you know, it's a fast, fast sort of two and a half minute song, isn't it? And I think we probably yeah. finally listened to some advice. Been, <laughs> something like that. We finally finally listened to advice and, yeah. and wrote a short. Somebody song. said your song is five <laughs> minutes long. Cut it in half, and we're like, what? Cut it in half. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And you actually look at a lot of singles, and yeah, they are two minutes twenty and stuff. Like that, you know. oh, you had an interesting megaphone part in the in the in the middle there, Matt. What was what, what inspired yeah. that? Do you remember? Couldn't afford a megaphone, but I had. We had this little like Tandy um, <laughs> amplifier that I think you were supposed to plug your answering machine into or something. Yeah. But I sang yeah. into it, and it made a yeah. noise. It was great. The guy, the engineer, was horrified. Uh, yes, <laughs> um, about uh, um, I'm trying to remember whether I had seen Blur play live with them, and they'd done stuff with a megaphone because it was a time when Blur, between before they became like Britpop, and after they had been kind of Madchester, they, they were doing some really weird stuff and yeah, they were singing yeah, a lot into yeah. megaphones and stuff. I remember seeing them at the NEC with jesus and mary jane and um so sort of very inspired by that and of course you know a little bit of nine inch nails and you know industrial stuff now we're well, moving on uh, a manager would have been really useful and um, peter bond from the reaction club in london uh, tried to guide us a bit i think like every decision we made about what to record or what we were going to do live or what the direction of the band was going to be was like quite fraught do you know what i mean because yes, yes. we all had slightly different ideas and but we believed in the band so we were really enthusiastic about it but at the same time and i think it would have it would have helped if somebody had come in and gone yeah. okay shut up this is what you're going to do do you know what yeah, i mean yeah and, yeah 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 and then we would have all committed to it instead of constantly worrying and second guessing which i think was why we would do a gig a triumphant gig or do a recording and then go ah oh, now we have to change everything after several conversations with him, uh, Peter Bond, we did, we did change direction again a little bit, didn't we? And kind of, yeah. kind of took decisions to become a bit more indie. Uh, you were playing the guitar as well. Um, yeah. And uh, we'd all seen sort of Suede breakthrough. And the songwriting changed a little bit, didn't it? And um, we sort of went in another, another sort of little direction there, didn't we? I mean, I think another guitar was good. I think me playing it was a problem. Like I was never fully happy about it. I think, you know, the shore had always been like this incredible noise and then me falling off something at the front of the stage to it. <laughs> Whereas this was like me having to actually be 
<laughs> you know, a musician. Um, That's kind of one yeah, of the things yeah, that well, worked, though, wasn't it? It was the fact that there weren't any flash chords because you didn't, you didn't know any. So you didn't know any. Down, yeah. You took us down a pathway which we probably needed to go down at some point. And that was just a, yeah, a basic chord yeah. structure. I think we really made the best of it. And I think that, that yeah. really yeah, kind yeah. of gave a nice feel to those songs. I really did enjoy some of those. Indeed, yeah. I mean, we we even reworked a, a really old song, actually. They've been kind of with us since the start of our time together, really. One sort of song that didn't didn't really, I guess, fit in some ways, which was Dance on Air. It was, it was, a, it was a strange old song, wasn't it? Uh, that was like a, really, favor, um, a kind of a crowd favourite that they wouldn't let get, they wouldn't let us get rid of. <laughs> I demand on pain was, and death, yeah. you know. It's, it's like some of the bands I've been in since where the crowd are screaming for Mustang <laughs> Sally five times a night and you'll play it on pain of death if you want to leave alive. You know. I, think, I think we should hear it, actually, Ash. So this, this is Dance on Air. Right.
Dance on Air, the last uh, track we're going to hear from the show. Um, I think that was recorded somewhere in, in Mosley. It was like a, like a live recording, wasn't it, really? I can't remember much about that recording. It was in someone's garage. <laughs> it was quite rough and ready, but it. I think the idea was that's what we needed, like to, to just kind of try and get the live thing down. Um, yeah, because at this point, Jew had left, hadn't he? And we, we kind of got a replacement drummer in, actually. I can't remember. The guy's name was Mark. I can't remember much about Mark. He was only with us for a brief brief time. But Many so, tattoos, tattooed arms. Yes. And I remember yes. Peter Bond at Reaction going like, ah, oh, I love a new drummer. Tattooed up yes. to his neck. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he was into the cult, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, g- going back to the song itself, um, I mean, it goes back to the very early days, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we were very into the Queen is Dead, weren't we? And I, yeah, I remember so that, that was a song that I think probably rip, was rip quite smithy. Yeah, I was trying to rip off Cemetery Gates or something like that, <laughs> yeah. really, and, and not yeah. being able to pull that off. And, and obviously, it doesn't sound like that because we never really kind of ever recorded it in the way it was originally intended no. i guess and um, th- that re-recording was quite a, a kind of a, a sort of a rockier version of it what was it about lyrically matt like i, I kind of had an idea that it was just a story about meeting somebody i think particularly if you're walking through mosley or something you would meet somebody and somebody could be an incredible guitarist of a brilliant creative person or could be somebody yeah. in need of like <laughs> psychiatric care and you never knew you never knew who who you were going to meet and i sort of had this idea of like you met this one person who says whatever you do try to do it well you know if you do this if you commit enough you can dance on air too which just was the words that fit the music at the time overall then chaps do you think we recorded our best material or i i think that we didn't I, or rather i think there are songs that we probably should have recorded as well um yeah. if we existed now we would have recorded everything in our bedroom using pro tools yeah. we would have been on spotify the next day yeah it didn't matter whether we got a, a recording deal or not and i think we would have just done what we did and yeah, yeah. been more successful at it and we we wrote dozens and dozens of songs didn't we yeah. i mean yeah, yeah we did yeah, yeah. we never seemed <laughs> to have a shortage did we the only thing that was that that was annoying is that we we didn't have a single, you know, a proper forty-five as it would have been then, which is a shame. Yes. You know, just to sum up, <laughs> sum up where we were, and just to have something now just yeah. to say to people, this is what we were. Now, sadly, things came to an end, uh, and we couldn't capitalise on that review and interest from Food Records, and, and that was really hard, wasn't it? That was very hard, and I I did yeah. not, I was not in a good place after that. I really didn't know what to do and we had worked we had worked so hard you know that if it really felt like a like a personal slight and you know i don't think you guys were in a particularly good headspace either because you know i think i think if 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 the majority of us had been in a good place we probably would have come up with something but it was like i kind of felt like uh i'm uh yeah i've had enough you know, um, yeah. and I don't, my memory is that I think you guys felt the same. Um, we had just been, we'd worked too hard, too long to start up again from scratch. Yeah. Um, yes. yeah. yeah. 
if we will if we were to look back and um, reflect on the um, what maybe the missing ingredients were what conclusions would you come to I think if it, this is this is this is my theory I think that we did know what we were doing and um, it was our efforts to try and do something else or to try and make other people happy was when we lost our way a bit and so it didn't feel organic definitely yeah yeah. You know, um, and I think, you know, maybe 10, 15 years later, we would have done that and nobody would have gone, oh, I don't know where to place you because they'd have gone, well, you're just another weird sounding band, put you on six music and, you know. Yeah. Finally, chaps, what, what would you like to take from your time in the band? I, I think that for me, it's the fact that all these great venues existed with, you know, kind of almost Birmingham legends like Arthur Tap and people like that and, and we were part of that. We didn't just go to those pubs, those old venues and see bands. We, we, we got ourselves a band together and we were part of that. And that was, a, that was a great thing. And we had some great nights out. For me, it is like, I can remember like four or five, there were four or five gigs, but like with specific moments where we were on fire and people were like eating out of our hands, you know? Yeah. And we we had made that we had done that and we had created that out of thin air you know and there are you know i mean i'm you know 50 now like i've done a a million things since then but some of those memories are right up there you know beautiful crystalline moments yeah you know definitely i mean for me there was nothing else i wanted to do with my life at that point you know kind of grateful we had the opportunity to follow that, that, yeah. that dream really it was it was an intense time wasn't it but i think probably i mean for me it taught me a lot about myself you know brought me out of my shell yeah um it was a brilliant time really some of those moments in, in the uh, in the garage were just some of the most contented moments i think i've ever had just periods yes, yes. maybe it was yeah. whiskey and coke i don't know but it was um, <laughs> you know you yeah, it was just it was just great. There were some really good moments where it did come together. It was nice to be part of that little that little scene. And I'm sure all, all the other bands that you know that were around would say similar sort of things and have similar stories. It was a good little yeah, time, indeed. Great time, indeed. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ash. Um, that's kind of all we got time for. Yeah, it's been great uh, reliving the old moments. Yeah, there's yeah. just one thing to say, really. Long live the music of the shore. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dean. When the Night Comes was written and produced by me, Dean Vernals. If you've enjoyed the music in this episode, or were in a Birmingham band and would like to share your story, then get in touch at wtncpodcast at mail.com. That's wtncpodcast at mail.com. You can also see photographs of the bands involved on our Twitter account. Just search When the Night Comes. I hope you can join me for the next episode. And thanks for listening.